What's to be nervous about? Because, dude, this is our first like serious one about a topic that's relevant, as opposed to not that the next gen guys aren't relevant. That's unfair. But this is our first mainstream topic since Labor Cup, so it's been a while. It's Grand Slam. Yeah, so it's big. Grand time. Slams are fun. But so let's do this thing. All right. Welcome to. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Joining me on this podcast, as always, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and Kyle Edmund lookalike, Max Rothman. Maxie, hey, great shot. Are you ever going to change that intro? Oh, I, I like to mix up the third one every time. I don't think I've ever done Kyle Edmund lookalike before. No, that, that one's different. It's but it's pl- true. I, mean, yeah. I, I was watching him out there. I was... I was Dude, like, damn. You really want your forehand to be that wristy? No, I, I, it's not that wristy. It's a clean contact. Yeah, I mean, hey, he, he played well. He, he no, well, I mean, round, we don't so. want to get him. So, exactly, if you can't tell, uh, you know, I believe this podcast will be released on a Wednesday, but we're recording this MLK Day Monday. Our plan was to do a preview for the Australian Open, but unfortunately, with it being MLK Weekend, both Max and I were in different places, and we were just unable to get a podcast recorded. Fortunately for you, the listener, that's all we're going to be planning to do these next two weeks. You know, we're going to be covering the Australian Open on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Our plan is to do one today where we'll be previewing the draw. Again, we've seen the first half of the first round matches, and we will talk about those at the end of the podcast. But we're going to give our previews of the draw as though those matches hadn't really happened. We still want a preview, you know, of the top eight seeds, who is in the best position to make it to the second week, which players have the easiest draws, which have the toughest, things of that nature. So that's what we'll be doing today. Yeah, and and you guys can look forward to this week. We're going to release a podcast talking about, you know, kind of the first couple rounds, the best matches, the people we think have the best chance moving into week two, and then we will wrap it up with a tournament recap, uh, kind of talk about you know who we think did the best, who played the best, who looked the worst, uh, and some predictions going into the did rest Nike of the year. change their outfits mid tournament because it was a disaster? They, I hope they do. It's, <laughs> it's embarrassing. We have that look to look forward to. One other housekeeping note: our next gen series is ongoing. You know, we still have five players left to cover. Max and I have recorded our Taylor Fritz preview. It sounds great. We just don't want that episode to get lost in the Australian Open buzz. Lost in the sauce. <laughs> exactly. And so under the wise counsel of Max Rothman, we've decided to wait and release that after this tournament ends. Which was hard for me to do because <laughs> I love Fritz. And that was an exciting it was, one. It was, it's a good it was podcast. A good pod, yeah. yeah, it'll be a fun one to listen back to. But enough with the chit-chat. People came here for the Australian Open. It's our first tournament of the year. Fliegner, cue our new sound effect. So the way we're going to do today's preview, we're actually going to go through a list of questions I sent out to our Cracked Rackets team. Uh, It was 10 questions kind of previewing this tournament again, asking who has the best draws, uh, what player do we expect to do well, who are our dark horses, things of that nature. And so Max and I today are going to go through those 10 questions. Max, let's start right away. This actually isn't about any player, but more about the viewing habits you have. And as a fan of tennis, you know, given the huge time difference between here and Australia, how do you watch your matches yeah it's tough so you know obviously matches on the east coast start around i don't know 7 8 p.m and uh so i get a couple matches after dinner right before i go to bed and 
obviously we miss the majority of them while we sleep. You know, you might catch a, the tail end of a few when you wake up, but that just leaves me the rest of the day to go over some highlights, recap some matches, and eh. Well, I will say when I was younger, particularly going to high school and, you know, you had to get up really early for classes, 8 a.m., one of my favorite things was getting up in the morning and seeing tennis on ESPN2, and I'm like, oh, I know what I'm watching while I'm eating breakfast. Like, this will actually wake me up, and it's one of the highlights. So that's a fun thing for young kids still going to school. I agree with you. It's essential you have access to a live stream. If people need my watch ESPN <laughs> password, again, just throw me the DM, and we can negotiate. That's, for that's a debatable <laughs> thing to do. Uh, just kidding, Dad. I'm not doing that. Um, but uh, I, I think the other thing that's fun is you wake up and you're like, all right, let's see what craziness happened last night. Well, I mean, again, we'll get into this later, but I fell asleep halfway through that fourth set for Jack Sock, and I was just like, I know I'm going to be disappointed when I wake up. So there's some too. of that, too, that you don't get to watch some of those matches because you I want you. to go to sleep. But again, all of those matches are available on the live stream. You can find pretty good highlights on YouTube. So finding access to these matches, you know, not hard to do. Definitely yeah. easy to follow along now. All right, we'll go to question number two. Of the top four seeds, you know, we have Rafa Nadal, the one seed, Roger Federer, the two, Grigor Dimitrov, the three, Alex Virev, the four. Which has the hardest pathway to the semifinals? So, in my opinion, I think it's a pretty simple answer, and it's Zverev. No, they got the seeding right on this one, for yeah. sure. No, absolutely. I mean, if you wanted to rank them, I think Nadal's got the easiest, then it's Fed, then you've got Dimitrov, and then it's Zverev. Um and so, well, you know, I'm looking at some of these potential third round matches they have in Dimitrov's case. You know, he could face a Rublev. You know, Rublev made a final earlier this season in Cutter. He's looked good. He's one of our next gen players to watch. Well, yeah, I mean that that is a tough third round, but Zverev's going to play his brother in the third round. I mean that that makes for a pretty difficult. Well, I think early even before match. that, it's it's fascinating because you look at Mishka Zverev's little foursome that you know he has to win and then play the winner of. He plays Hyun Chung, the winner of our first next gen ATP finals, and then the winner of that match plays the winner of Kokonakis at home. Or Medvedev, another one of our next-gen guys, Medvedev, who won a title last week on the ATP Tour. I mean, that's a great little foursome right there. I was say, that part of the bracket's going to be interesting. I, I just totally assume that is going to make it to the third round. But that's what I'm saying. He, yeah, you're right. He could not. I have In my bracket, I have him there against so his brother. So, fun question for you. If you're Alex, who would you rather play? Chung, Medvedev, or Kokonakis? You know, all next-gen guys <laughs> who you stack up against, or your brother? Who you know you know his game much better, but you're playing. Your I, brother. You definitely don't want to play your brother. I will say Serena whoops Venus. Alex will probably whoops Mishka. The younger's the better. Yeah. Ask Eric. Uh, <laughs> sure, that's just because I'm, I'm not going to get into a brother argument here. It's, that's not where we want to go. <laughs> Look, I've, I've no, never mind. I was going to make a Noah joke, but yeah, I, I know. As I said, we can't we can't go there now. But yeah, I don't think any of them enjoy playing their sibling and, and beating them. I mean. That's that's a whole mental game that you just would rather not have to deal with. So, of them, tough. Uh, I'd probably take Kokonakis. He's a little bit streakier, in that's my fair. opinion. Although Kokonakis did just beat Zverev at Hopman Cup, but then, you know, Zverev knows his game. And... Well, right, and I think a lot of times when you've lost to someone and then coming back, you've got a little fire. You oh, want to absolutely. Take I mean, in Jack Sox's case, we, you know, that well, doesn't happen. That... Right. <laughs> we'll get yeah. to that. No, that's fair. Again, if I'm Alex... I'd probably want to play Mishka. I think Chung's better. Like, straight up, oh, Chung is God. a better player than Mishka. We saw Mishka give a poor effort against Michael Moe. I just think Chung does the things that Michael Moe does at an even higher level. Well, I was going to say, if you want to look at... I don't at, think Mishka's going to get there. Yeah. Right, I was going to say, if you want to look at that match, I think this is a bad matchup for Mishka considering his match with Tiafa. I mean, 
the, you're right. Chung with is Mo, quicker. With excuse me, with Mo, he's quicker. He's more solid on the passing shots. Yeah, he's I mean, that's more, his game. Yeah, and he's more. You know, Mo sometimes leaves the forehand a little bit short. Chung really hits through the court. You know, we both noticed that. And so with his speed, I agree with you. We're getting a little sidetracked. We'll <laughs> yeah. save that. Yeah, still save that on. You can tell we're, we're excited, excited about this. One. Yeah. But I agree. Rafa's quarter, again, we've seen the first day, but there's it's no one really joke. to challenge him until the quarterfinal. You know, he'll at least get that far. Uh, and even once he likely. gets to the quarters. And then I mean, Fed. You know, it's interesting. Fed may have a matchup with Milos Raonic. I think that's a third-round match. Oh, no, no. That's, sorry, that's a fourth-round match. Yeah. And But he does play Richard Gasquet third-round. You know, Gasquet kind of a worse version of Fed, but, yeah. you know, another veteran, a guy who's certainly capable of playing well. And they've played a bunch, so... Yeah, but, it, again, if it comes down to, if I'm Zverev, would I rather play my brother, Chung, Medvedev, Kokonakis, or would I rather play Richard Gasquet? And the answer is probably Gasquet. Yeah. No. I'd have to agree with you there. Yeah, and I mean, and then the next round, again, would you rather play Rayonich or Djokovic? Sorry, that's the real point. We can add it around the first one. Would you rather play... You know, fourth round Rayonich Djokovic. The answer's got to be Rayonich. Yeah, I mean, Djokovic has got to be somewhat fresh after the time he's taken off, and I don't know. I would be scared to play him after after all the time that he's taken. Yeah, certainly. And you know, we kind of alluded to this earlier, but one of the other questions I asked you: favorite first round matches. I will say I did. You know, predict Edmund to beat Kevin Anderson in our Crack Rackets Tourney Topia draw contest. Uh, so free plug for Turnitopia, by the way. I think we just found our <laughs> fake ad of the day. Uh, but I knew, Ed, you know, Edmund put together a fantastic Brisbane, making the quarters and losing in three sets to Dimitrov. But, you know, Edmund got injured in that match, and so third set was what it was. Obviously, Shapovalov, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Ferrer, all matches you should watch highlights of. What's your favorite bottom half first-round match? Because, you know, we're recording this before they've played. Right, right. So, I mean, my favorite bottom half first-round match for sure is Tiafo and Del Potro. I mean, yeah. I, I mean... Over Diminuer Burdich? Yeah, it is. And and so Tiafo's childhood hero and, and idol for tennis was Del Potro. And so he's going to have the chance to play him. And I think that's unbelievable. Something fun to watch. Yeah, he, Tiafo's had some pretty interesting first-round matches at Grand Slams. He's been getting screwed on his first-round matches at Grand Slams uh, since Isner, uh Who else has he Didn't played? he play... Fed. He did play Fed, you're right. Fed. He, took, he took a set off him, four sets. I think it was, wasn't At it the five? US Open? Wasn't it five? Oh, it was five sets. It was sets. a five-setter. Uh, yeah. yeah, and he stole the fourth or something. Yeah. yeah. You're right. And so, I mean, it goes to show, he, he can play with the big dogs, and, you know, let's see if he can give us another thriller I, to watch. I think it's good he'll be able to feed off of Del Potro's pace. I just yeah, I think that I agree. the hitch in that forehand, though, don't you think Del Potro attracts it just all night long? And Sure, but at the same time, the, he's got a little bit of a shorter backswing. Even though it is a hitch, it, yeah, it'll help him take just, the pace. How does Tiafo hurt Del Potro? Yeah. I, I, that's the issue. In how does game. anyone really hurt Del <laughs> <Poe>? <laughs> like That's a very fair point. You know, I just raved about the Chung's Vera of Kokonakis Medvedev. Obviously, that's the section I'll be watching tonight. One other dark horse, and, you know, we give a lot of love to the American guys. They're not next-geners, but Steve Johnson versus Dennis Kudla. Uh, Fun yeah. match to watch. Agreed. Two guys, you know, had to have grown up. You have to hang out together. Same age on tour, you know, yeah. been in the USTA system forever. I mean, the other big match that I'm also excited for is the, the Djokovic and D. Young match. I mean, first match back for Djokovic. Curious to see how he is on court. Donald Young has also been one of those guys to kind of Throwing some scary first rounders for some of the, the he top always seeds. it seems like it's and you know I actually was looking at this he hasn't advanced past the second round of a Grand Slam since 2015. 
That's tough. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> that's I mean, tough. It's really, and you know, he stayed in the top fifty, so that's a credit to him. But, but he's also been playing well in the last couple months. I mean, so. I watched him. He, you know, he lost first round in one of the warm ups tournaments. To this, but I was watching with my brother, and my brother made a point to say he looks fit. No, he, he does. Looks in that's really what good I was saying. shape. He, he so. looks good. No, and Djokovic has you know a, a kind of hitch in his serve now, or at least he's changed his motion. It's a little bit abbreviated. So yeah, it will be fun to watch Djokovic play. And you know, I think the good news is Donald Young will make a lot of balls, so we'll get to see what type of form. Djokovic is in and that'll Agreed. help us when we get to the betting section of this pod later on yes. but alright I want to do a couple more previews again we talked about this but third round potential matches you know these are things we've circled or predicted again in our Turnitopia group for me Shapovalov Kyrgios that's a potential third rounder that's yep. blockbuster I love Dimitrov Rublev I know you're not that hot on Rublev but we'll get back to him Delpo Burdich I mean that's maybe the match of the is. third round. Or again, my personal favorite, Jared Donaldson potentially facing Novak Djokovic, a potential third round. He's got to, you know, Donaldson has to beat Ramos Vinolas first, but Jared Donaldson, you know, one of my other questions, who's the last American that makes it? And I don't want to speak for the women's singles players because they could do a little bit better, but for the men, I really think it's going to be Jared Donaldson. So I absolutely agree. I've got him in the third round versus Djokovic. He's playing well. So he, do I. Yeah. Hey, there <laughs> like you go. It. Hey, great shot. <laughs> so Donaldson playing Vanillas, I mean, I think that's probably the best seed that he could have come across. In I the think first Ramos Vanillas is a clay court player. Like uh, a very smooth is. game, mm-hmm. you know, won't do too much to hurt Jared, which if we've seen anything about Jared Donaldson, sorry to cut you off, but if you can't get him moving, that's a beneficial matchup for him. No, you're right. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think this is the perfect matchup for him. You know, there's a chance that he plays Smechek in the next round. That's someone that he's played a bunch, and yeah, no, he definitely has a very good chance of winning. I think it'd be, you know, pretty likely to see him in the third round. Can I also point out, I watched this video on YouTube of Jared Donaldson the other day from his off-season training, and you know, ATP Tour does a bunch of those. They had all the guys in Monte Carlo. They had you know some guys training throughout the country. Really worth seeing. Jared Donaldson is training with Gage Brimer and. It wasn't Brendan McLean, but it was some other young kid from that. Oh, Stefan... Meninchella? No, Desanovich or something? Younger. Stefan, yeah, yeah, he's a younger guy. Yeah, they're training at the Brimer Academy, and oh, I just and thought of you. I was like, oh, next year, why is he hitting why. with Rothman? <laughs> <laughs> those, those uh, played on those courts many a time. Yeah. Yeah, Donaldson looked really good, and, you know, when we talked to him for cracked interviews and we were talking about his off-season preparation... He just sounds like a guy who's so dedicated to his craft, who understands every moment he needs to be doing something to get better because everyone else is doing, you know, is also trying to get better. And he just seems extremely competitive. Yeah, I got to say, it is a little concerning that Gage is his practice part. Come on, you're about to go play. Gage Reimer, former Easter Bowl champion, former one seed at Kalamazoo. I'm not saying Gage is bad, but... Gage was one of my favorite highlights on YouTube. I used to think he slugged the ball. Oh, yeah. So I mean, his play. footwork is beautiful. Sure, I I, I think... It, you know, Even the I'm, man bun. It's tied <laughs> up up top. I've got qualms with that. But, uh, <laughs> I'm not... Okay, I'm not saying Gage is bad. I'm just saying he's not a pro, and Donaldson should be playing with people who are, who are better than him. That's a fair point. I also think when you're training, there's something to be said about playing with someone who he's may consistent. not be... Yeah, who will yeah, just make a lot of balls. Right. And, again, he's doing two-on-ones. It's not as though Donaldson's playing these guys straight up. And right. I'm sure in match play, you know, Fritz mentioned he's playing these guys. Uh, they're all going to the Carson facility in right. training. So, I, you know, I trust Jared Donaldson is making good decisions in his offseason. I'm sure his other coaching than the staff... Video games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure his coaching staff is keeping him out of the, yeah. the ga- video game room and his... Uh, 
hyperbaric chamber of a bed. Yeah, exactly. So I do want to make predictions for the round of 16. But And again, on this podcast, we're only going to make predictions through that round because we want to come back to you next week and, you know, not sound too stupid, you know, have our picks <laughs> completely blow up. Because we, we will make some mistakes. Oh, undoubtedly. Many. But I want to ask you, of the next-gen players in the draw, who do you expect to go the furthest? Let's exclude Zverev because he's the obvious answer. And by next geners, I don't just mean the Americans. I mean all the players, you know, 21, 22 and under. I think I'm going to have to go with Shapovalov. It's it's honestly a toss-up between him and Rublev. Both of them have really tough third-round matches, potentially. Um, Actually, Shapovalov has an even tougher draw than Rublev does. He's got Sanga and then potentially Kyrgios. And then would have to play potentially Dimitrov. So, I mean, that is that is a crazy hard draw. But I think that the way he's playing, I made a, a hot take earlier. I think Shapovalov is going to break the top 20 by the end of this year. Jesus. And so, <laughs> and so this is his chance to show it. Well, um, well Shapovalov is part of that quarter number two, the right. Dimitrov quarter. Some you know seeds in his side. Dimitrov, Kyrgios, Sanga. Obviously, Sock and Anderson were in that quarter, but they've both lost. Lucas Pui also lost. Cole Schreiber lost. And you have Rublev. So that quarter has really opened up. And yes, he would have to beat a Grigor Dimitrov. But, you know, when you're a player ranked outside of the top 50 to make the round of 16, that's something you have to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so I I think Rublev has a little bit easier into the third round. He only has to play a non-seed. He doesn't have to play a seed until he gets to Grigor. So... It's easier in that sense, but I think if... Yeah, Shabu- his real test, sorry, was Ferrer. Yeah, that was his biggest one this first round. Yeah, match, which, yeah. you know, that was a toss-up. I, yeah, before that him. match, I knew it was going to be tight. No, absolutely. See, for me, again, the Chung, Kokonakis, Medvedev group, if any of them can upset Zverev, they have to be the... You know, keep an eye that's on a, that that's one. That's a big ask. I, oh, upset Zverev. I mean, look, there's a, re- there's a reason Zverev didn't play in Rome. He was ducking these guys. <laughs> yeah, he's scared. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. Um, no, I, I agree with you. If not Zverev, Shepovalov's a good one to pick. Uh, again, Rublev as well looks good. Okay, our final thing to preview the draws, our favorite potential round of 16 matches. You know, some of these matches are so nice that I, I'm going to list them out top half versus bottom half, just to be clear. On the top half, one of my dark horse matches that I'll enjoy an extremely informed Jill Simone, who won his first title in two years earlier in January, facing up against a number six seed, Marin Cilic, who I swear I watched him today or last night versus Pospisil. He had like six separate match point opportunities all before, you know, set, I think he won the fourth set 7-5, maybe 7-6. And he just blew them. He served for the set twice, blew them both, you know. He just looks so shaky. He can never make the clutch finishing volley. And so that's a guy I could see. I could see Simone, you know, making a sneaky quarterfinal appearance and upsetting Chilich. Wow. So you think he's going to make it through Carreño Busta, potentially Carreño. Well, no, that is his next round match now that we know who has won. So he's got to make it through Carreño Busta, potentially Mueller, and then he's going to make it through Chilich? I really don't think Carreño Busta is that good. And hold on, before I answer, let me <laughs> As the 10 seed in the Australian Open. Okay, He's yeah. had some good wins. No, obviously, Didn't Carino Busta just take down Delpo like uh, two weeks ago? First round, or in his first warm-up tournament of the year, Pablo Carino Busta lost 5-7, 6-2, 7-6 to in Cutter. And so, look, is that a great loss? No. I mean, Chorich is pretty good, but 
Jill Simone is playing better right now than Borna Chorich is. And I don't think they play dissimilar games. I think both of them are grinders, guys who will try and wear you down, who will make you make that mistake, not themselves. It's a hard court match. I think Simone has the edge on hard courts. I wouldn't surprise me if he beats them. And again, Look, one of these top 10 seeds always loses. Like, you know, yes, sock loss, but another one will lose. I'm making my bet that it's Karina Busta. I think of the seeds, yes, that is the most likely. Simone has been up in that ranking that that range of ranks before and so yeah you know it it i think you're right it is possible but i think it's tough i really like when you say you're right multiple times in one sentence it makes me feel really good yeah <laughs> I, I maybe you gotta stop well that when now. we get to the betting again don't do that uh, tell me why I'm don't wrong, worry please. i won't uh, another interesting one obviously probably the blockbuster event in australia would be if dimitrov and kyrgios face off again I've, after their three set brisbane semifinal i would love to see that who would match. you take right now who's the favorite going into that match i'll tell you who <clears throat> vegas says it's the favorite but guess who's the favorite i think the favorite is kyrgios it is kyrgios that's which is weird fun. because i don't think that's the case really i yeah. agree with you i mean sorry i shouldn't have said really you're right dimitrov three out of five sets he's fitter yeah he's, absolutely he's more likely and, to stay focused and kyrgios is just a head case i mean he starts getting down a little bit on Dimitrov. Who knows what he'll do? Yeah. I mean, we, we've we seen him in these warm-up tournaments playing like he doesn't care. And, you know, maybe he gets to the Australian Open and he says, all right, this is a Grand Slam, now I care, which is possible, but you never know with him. He's just... Well, I'll say this. He hasn't lost yet this year. I mean, he got hit in the face by Zverev it's in that warm-up event. He did. <laughs> but he has not lost. And maybe that, you know, snaps something into him. Maybe he just is aware now, you know, I, this is the prime of my career. I need to maximize my results now so that I can set myself up well later on in life. You know, as a fellow 22-year-old, that's something I certainly think about more than I did a year ago. Uh, just things of that nature. I think the one thing that I'm seeing in him a little is... The first this- serve. Freaking rockets, sorry. <laughs> it's not what I was going to say, but maybe the reason his first serve is the way it is is because of this sense of confidence that I see in him. I think I've mentioned that he looks like he doesn't care and that there's this like almost lack of urgency in, in his game, but I think that could just be an overconfidence in his ability to just beat these guys. I think he's just thinking, I am better than everyone and I don't need to try as hard when it's not these top-of-the-line matches. Well, it's funny because I think everything you just said, that lack of urgency statement in particular, applies to Jack Sock. Where I think it doesn't apply to Nick Kyrgios is when I watch him play, I really do think, and I've mentioned this before, when he sees he's holding serve, you can see the synapse go off where he thinks, oh, I might as well not lose today because this guy's not going to break me. And my, you know, I'll start taking returns a little bit earlier. I'll play in a good, aggressive return game, and I'll win the match. Or at least that was the feel I got off of him in Brisbane, again, particularly off of that Delgopolov match. You know, Kyrgios only lost seven games in his first round. Uh, he's, he looks really good. Could he beat Dimitrov in front of a ruckus Australian crowd? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a possibility. Definitely a match for us to circle. I do want to move on, though, and then again we'll talk about these day one results. My other two favorite potential round of 16 matches, we mentioned it earlier, Novak Djokovic versus Alex Zverev, a potential barn burner of a round of 16 match. Also, Goffin versus Del Potro, that'll be, you know, the winner of that will end up playing Federer likely in the quarterfinals. Which match appeals more to you? Well, I was going to say, of those, I actually might be the most interested in a TM Warinka. Oh! Seriously. I, I, oh. Both, <laughs> both of these guys, we haven't seen play much in the last you know, couple months, and I think this could be 
one of the matches that kind of shows where these guys are going to be for this year. And it might give us a little preview into where they're going to be later in this tournament. I think depending on how they play, I think one of these guys could be a dark horse and come in and take out someone like Djokovic or Fed and make it far into the tournament. See, I could not disagree with you more. And, the re- <laughs> and I'm really happy because I like disagreeing with you. Stan Wawrinka, first round. Former world junior number one, Ricardus Barankas. Barankas oh, is a guy break. who's... No, 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 no. So fine, let's say he gets his legs under him in that match. You know, Because this is a guy coming off of knee surgery. We haven't seen him play since Wimbledon. You know, I heard There were and rumors he that a... he was never going to come back, and now he is coming back. I think to expect him to do that well is just a bit of a reach. But so, uh, let me make my factual I know argument what you're before say. I do and then he's got Shardy, who's... No, 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 then he's got Sandgren. Don't you, you dare insult the American. Gotta stick with my Americans. Oh, if, for nothing else than for good karma. So let's say Stan wins either of those matches, and I, I don't think like I don't think he's going to lose to someone like Sandgren because how is either of these guys going to hurt him? Tell me you've got a goot. In the- I have Bautista okay. Goot beating Wawrinka. Bautista Goot, who won a title last week, yeah, he's, he's a player well. who just if you cannot hurt him, he's going to stick around. He'll okay, linger. Well, Wawrinka because, can hurt you. No, but the problem, yes, a healthy Wawrinka can hurt you. But if Stan's not moving around well enough, if instead of you know that backhand on the run down the line becomes a backhand slice, gives. You know, Bautista Gu a little more time to set himself. I don't know if he's healthy enough to beat him. Right, and I think I'm just so I, I am assuming that Warinka is healthy. I don't think he would play this tournament. It's a bit of a gamble, right? I, I'm just saying I don't think he would be playing this tournament if he didn't feel 100. percent So I'm gonna assume the best, and I guess we'll kind of see what happens after this first round. Whether we think he's got his legs underneath him and that he's going to be as fit as at least I think he will be. Yeah, so real quick, uh, you know, we should have done this earlier on in, in the episode, but I just want to briefly mention this. I have the seeds in all of the quarters. Uh, we've been through, you know, we'll we'll talk more about the seeds that have fallen in the top half when we do those results, but let's talk about the bottom half seeds. In the Zverev quarter, you have Zverev, the four seed, Team, the five seed, Walrinka, the nine, Djokovic, the 14, Bautista, Gu, 20, Ramos, Vinolas, 21, Manorino, 26, and Mishka Zverev, 32. I want to I look at that because I want to compare it to quarter four, where our seeds are Roger Federer at two, Goffin at seven, Del Potro, 12, Query 13, Burdich, 19, Rayonich, 22, and then Fognini and Gasquet as two of the seeds in the 20s. Um, the reason I think Goffin Del Potro is the you know, more interesting and maybe even more significant match is because let's say that match goes five sets. Assuming those guys, you know, go to war with each other, that means Roger Federer does not play a tough match until the semifinal match. When he gets to the semifinal, he plays an Alex Virov who will likely be worn out, just destroyed from, you know, the tough first two matches, maybe playing his brother, playing Djokovic, you know, then he'd maybe even have to play a team or a Warinka on top of that as well. There's a chance Federer could breeze to the semifinals untouched. And that's why I think the Delpo Goffin match is more important because the winner of that is really the last stop or is really the first threat to Fed is probably the way to say it. I think it's unfair to say that either Ranich or Query will not give Fed a tough match. Well, I have they... Query losing first round personally. And, oh. You know, I hate, I just said what, I picked you just the American. Said, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> no, sorry. Again, Query, Query has let us down many a time in first Feliciano round. Feliciano Lopez so. is handsome enough to do it. He's got some sexy volleys too. <laughs> exactly, a lefty nice. doubles player who serves in volleys. A man after my heart. I, like like I said, we've seen Query lose early, so sure. But then let's say 
Fed has ran it. Wait, just that. one last point on the query thing. Also, query I feel like is due. He makes semifinals of U.S. Open, semifinals of one of them, or quarterfinals of one of them, whatever. He's due to have a little bit of a slip up. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. He can't keep this up, and if he does, then he's that good. Then he is that good, and maybe he wins a slam this oh, year. Oh, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. But sorry. So what were you saying? Sorry before that. About All right. So Rayanich. let's just imagine then that Ranich plays Fed. That has been a match that has been played many times, and Ranich gives him hard matches. He just so I have sorry to cut you off again. I just I could not disagree more. I like okay. I went to a match at Cincinnati between Rayonich and Federer. Federer thought to himself, "All I need to do is get one break because this guy cannot touch my serve because Rayonich isn't quick enough. He doesn't do enough with his return to damage Fed. Fed will get him stretched, get Rayonich moving, and when Rayonich can't play offense, he doesn't win." I, I disagree with you there because I think Ranich is the kind of guy that when he's playing well is aggressive on his returns and hits a big enough ball to give Federer a hard time. I've seen him play Fed where Fed is on the defense the majority of the match. And this is the kind of match where, sure, if, if Ranich isn't serving well, he's going to lose quick. But if he's playing to the best of his ability, that could be another five setter. Federer, Ranich, career lifetime, 10-3 Federer. The last time yeah, Rayonich beat that, him was 2016 Wimbledon. Beat him yeah, in the semifinals exa- in five sets. Yep. You you know what? I was a bit smug there. Federer did beat him in the quarterfinals in straights this past year. But you're right. It is a possibility. They've had tough matches in the past. And I think that... <sighs> well, so, okay. My last thing is Rayonich, his only match on the year, loses to Diminuer in Brisbane. Just not the type of experience you want. Yes, at the point he would play Federer, I believe, again, that's a fourth-round match. So at that point, you assume Rayonich has his legs under him, but I just don't see this version of Rayonich damaging a Fed who you know looked great in Hopman Cup, and there's there's no reason. I, again, uh, in the gambling section, I'm going to talk you out of this and why we shouldn't bet on Fed, but at this point of his draw, he's he's cruising. Other than Nadal, so here's the other thing that that I disagree with in, in your argument is that I don't think that Gofen and Delpo are going to have a five setter. Oh. I, I think Delpo... I'm, oh, Delpo beat Federer the last time they played. I, I know, and I'm just saying, I think Delpo is playing astonishingly well right now. I think he's going to whoop Gofen. I think he tanked to Bautista Agu to get the extra day of rest in. I'm sure. I'm sure he did. Yeah, but so I agree with you. Delpo looks good. He's as healthy as he's been. I don't know. Gofen, though, also looks excellent. I think... That's the fourth round match I want to see the most because I think Del Potro deserved to be in the World Tour final last year as much as Gofan. This is his chance to get some revenge. Again, a ton of potential fun in the fourth round. Obviously, we're excited about the first round matches and you know the, watching the rest of this first week as well. We do want to talk about the day one action, but before we do that, we're likely doing our first fake ad from Turnitopia. So stick around. And now, a new fake advertisement from our favorite new sponsor, Turnitopia. Turnitopia. Turnitopia is a great place to make your favorite brackets. Hey, Max, you know what's better than March Madness? What is better than March Madness? Picking brackets for tournament grand slams. And do you know where we can do that? Where can we do it? At Turnitopia. Turnitopia, where your bracket can get screwed by Jack Sock. Or John Isner. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. That was so bad. Oh. <laughs> they say oi in Australia. Oi! Oi, great shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we might have to, oh. to kick you out after that one. No, that voice you hear is the senior advisor to the Great Shot podcast and part-time writer, my former roommate, Michael Azapardi. Michael, hey, great shot. Thank you. 
Thank you. And also a part-time Australian. Uh, part-time. <laughs> his 23 and me comes in tomorrow, <laughs> so we'll find out. That's what I'm looking at right yeah, now. exactly. But if he doesn't comment on the tennis, don't be surprised. That's not his thing. It is our thing, Max Rothman, and we saw our first real good day of tennis yesterday. What do you think about these Australian Open matches? Oof, there, there is some interesting interesting results results, to say the least we are back can we just say tennis twitter was in full swing last night i was so excited and you know shameless plug here but roger federer threw a response to our crack dragons team big deal around our places yeah australian open threw me the retweet which again hasn't happened before so thank you australian open Uh, like i was saying earlier one of the best things ever is waking up and seeing the results and when i woke up this morning let me tell you, I was shocked. So I think we should start with our American players, talk about some of those matches. I think- well, I will just say real quickly, I text you a lot about tennis, probably more than I should. <laughs> this weekend, you were texting me. You go, George, Tiafo, Delpo, it, oh my God. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, everything was just nuts. It's good to be back, but I agree. Let's talk about our American players first. I think we you have know to start who we have to start uh, And it sucks because we did a whole podcast to end our year celebrating Jack Sock, being ready to you know champion him as the American tennis revival of 2018, or you know he's the one leading the resurgence. And then he drops a freaking stinker against Yuki Sugita. Yeah, and and I probably shouldn't bring this up now, but we were talking about the lion for this for this <laughs> match and for Sock to go to the finals of this tournament. And there was it was crazy. Odds. It, let me just say Sock was seven seventy to one, I believe. So if you bet a hundred dollars, you would win seven thousand. <laughs> Seven thousand. I told you. I I won't lie. I said, Max. I have spent a hundred. Sorry, mom. I have spent a hundred dollars in way stupider ways than this. Why not? Like, explain to me why he couldn't do it, given his form in Paris. And you better be (laughs) thankful. (laughs) Yeah, because I said it was stupid. (laughs) I knew it was stupid. Oh man, I'm. I'm. What's the term? What's the? Would have been free tzedakah to the <laughs> Vegas gamblers. I was looking for the Yiddish term. <laughs> oh, that's that's a little Jewish charity for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this match, like you said, super disappointing. Sock lost 6-1-7-6-5-7-6-3. Just, I mean, looking at the statistics, clearly it was not Sock's day. 30 winners to 52 unforced errors. That's a bad ratio. He really just... Wasn't strong in his first serve. He had 62 first serve percentage. He had less than half as many aces as Sugita did. That is embarrassing. I mean, Jack Sock prides himself on his serve. And he should. He has a great serve, but no, <laughs> clearly it, not in this look, match. Look, I'm so excited to see you this passionate about a tennis take. I could not agree more. The stat I'm going to turn to, Jack Sock wins 40% of his second serve points. Let me repeat that. That's 40%. Rough. That is atrocious and... Oh, I agree with you. You can't have six aces, seven double faults, and be outserved by your opponent, Jack Sock, if you want to have success. I thought it was nice that he was hitting through his backhand, but I thought he was reckless about it. I thought he went for so many cheeky drop shots, and he oh. thinks he has this unique ability to sneak into the net at will and catch people off guards. He has great hands, but it was just so undisciplined, and you could tell it was just lackluster. Yeah, and we were talking about this. like When we were watching him, you know, hit stupid drop shots and and all this, it actually looked like he didn't care that he was losing. I didn't see any fire. Looks like he's rushing. That's the point. He's trying to play quick points and maybe catch some momentum. Yeah, it was almost like he expected to just win this match 
super easy and just kind of walk through. And then when it wasn't that, he was like, well, I guess I'm not winning easy, so I'm not going to win. And that's just terrible. And he just starts chipping backhand yeah. and trying to come up with the winners on the run and kind of show off how good of an athlete he is. And he is an incredible athlete, and it's just – it's it, it's so hurtful because we just expect better. We we demand better. Come on, I had Dad. you in the quarters, I man. You blew my bracket. Oh, you were my money he actually house. blew my bracket. Yeah. I'm I'm pissed. <laughs> but that does now open up that whole side of the bracket. It's gonna be pretty interesting. Um, well, what quarter is that? That's the uh, that's the Dimitrov quarter, right? That is the Dimitrov quarter. So yeah, it kind of opens that up. Like we said, Rublev, Shapovalov, maybe Songa if he beats Shapovalov. Well, now with him and Anderson and Kolshiver and. And oh, Puig Anderson's gone. in that too. Anderson. So in the bottom half of this quarter, you had Anderson, Pui, Kolschreiber, Karlovich, and Sock. Karlovich is the only seed left. Karlovich isn't seeded. You're wrong. Kolschreiber is a seed, but it's okay. I, I forgive you nonetheless. <laughs> I was going to say, let's, let's... this is in 2006. Karlovich is no <laughs> longer going to be seeded. No, but no, you're I right. So you. actually, that means there are no seeds in that no. part of the quarter. Anderson gone. Pui. Kind of disappointed in Pui. I really like him, and I agree. Yeah. It is open now, but Jack Sock, again, you mentioned it already. Just He slaps. He'll start yeah. slapping, and it's just, we get it. You're powerful, but controlled Jack Sock, and you just were not controlled in this match. And I was, wait, you know... It's interesting. One point I want to bring up because obviously John Isner lost as well. I had this realization that I think I get less disappointed during John Isner matches because regardless of if he wins or loses, you know, his game has certain fundamental flaws that can be exposed. But you see him thinking every point. You see him trying new things, whether it's the chip and charge, whether it's to go after backhands and forehands down the line, you know, play his aggressive style of tennis at all times. And you see him trying to at least make adjustments. Jack Sock just gets re- you know, reckless. He just throws in the drop shots, like you said. The uh, I can't think of the term when you take the return early. The saber or the sabis, whatever yeah. it's called with Sock. And just bad play. It's just bad play. Yeah, it's I mean, sloppy. I expect, honestly, at this point, I, I do expect Isner to lose a lot of these first round oh, matches. We I mean, talked about this. How did I not predict done, him to lose? Yeah, in every, every time. At he, home. He, I put him in these brackets. I'm like, you know, maybe he'll get to a third or fourth round and he lets me down, and it's a bummer. It's not unexpected. I could have seen this coming from a mile away, and, of course, my blind faith in him put him into the third round of my bracket. Well, I'll say Ends this. up losing to Ebden 6-4, You know, it's, Ebden did what he needed to do. Get well, one break in each of those sets, and that was kind of it. No, we talk about the things, you know, these players have to do, maximize their strengths, do them well. John Isner, 24 aces, two double faults. That's a good performance. Yeah. He's making 65% of his first serves and winning 71% of them. That will usually do the job. However, when you're only winning 54% of your second serve points and on the match you only have three break opportunities, you better be able you know, to protect your serve, to use that first serve. You better be willing to take some chances, otherwise you're going to lose. And you look at Ebden's stats, you know, this is a guy who wins 84% of his first serve points in this match, serving at 70%. Just played a high percentage match, waited for his opportunities, you know, protected his serve so well. Like we said, Isner only went one for three on break points. Ebden looked steady, and he rode that home crowd. And again, less disappointed in Isner than Sock, but it certainly hurts. Yep, I, I couldn't agree more, and I don't think there's a whole lot more to be said about that. Well, think- can we just, on the theme of disappointed, talk about this American performance on day one? American men in general go 
two and three on the day, but that was part of a larger theme as well with the women not doing too hot Rough either. Day for the women. Just a you know, Venus loses, Coco Vandeway loses, Ugh, Taylor Townsend loses. One of my favorites. Just yeah, rough, rough day one for the Americans, but not rough for our. Well, was it rough? Maybe that's the question about this match. It was. It was rocky, so yeah, it was it was a little rough. Obviously, but... we're talking about Ryan Harrison and Duty Sala. That's a match. Ryan Harrison ended up winning six three five seven three six seven five six two. I could not care less about the tennis in this match because it really wasn't that quality. Let's talk about the fan interactions. You are the leading. You are the face of the Duty Sala fan club operation. You understand its workings. What was going on? I mean, so first of all, I want to comment on the overall atmosphere of the Australian Open. I don't know what's happening. I don't know if they're just letting people Boozing drink. Up. Yeah, clearly. Because <laughs> these fans uh, are rowdy. I, the I, cock is loose. It, <laughs> oh, God. There's our title for this pod. <laughs> but seriously, there are some crazy fans during these matches. They're getting real loud. And, and so I think duty... I mean, okay, I've said this before. I've seen it live. Duty's fan base is insane. These Israelis go crazy. Duty, Melody Israel. I mean, they're <laughs> they've got all Duty the chance. It's crazy, and so you know, I Harrison got very frustrated with this. I can understand to an extent. You know, if it's persistent throughout a five set match, it gets to your head. But that's one of those things that he's got to not let get to his head. That's, in my opinion, a bit of mental weakness on his part, and. You know, I, I think that this is part of the game that we've discussed in the past that needs to get more hype around. I, I think it is fun to have this kind of World Cup atmosphere where everyone goes crazy and the fans are louder. And uh, so I personally love it. I think it's great. Oh, I love if I'm Ryan Harrison. I mean, OK, Ryan Harrison doesn't have the background I do, but the way I negate <laughs> the fans is I'm just reading them my first Aaliyah from the gig. Yeah, <laughs> oh, and then God. they'll be like, oh, hell is. And then they're cheering, then they're cheering from both sides. <laughs> but I completely agree with you. Every point you made is valid. My only question would be, if you're Ryan Harrison, what can you do during that match to, you know, calm your mind to kind of remain focused and to me that's where if you're thinking of rule changes let's get a coaching timeout let's get in these best of five matches atp players get you know one coaching timeout you can use after the third set if it goes that far and that's a hot take think about it no but ryan harrison's coach comes out there i think it's his dad maybe it's not maybe it's marty fish or one of these guys comes out there says look embrace this environment look how many fans you're playing out of and look he rebounded to win the fourth and fifth set anyways but i just think a coaching you know coaching tactics coming into play would make it that much more interesting i think that'd be interesting it's funny that you say that because my first instinct if i were his coach would be to go out there and tell him dude is not no is is not to be louder is to hit a winner and be silent. Shut them up with pure silence. No reactions. <clears throat> and that is the that's, opposite of what Harrison that's did. That's so hard to do. It, it is. Only but, Fed does it. Yeah, but that's why he's the greatest. That's true. That's but seriously, he did the exact opposite. He started hitting winners and was screaming at the top of his lungs. I mean, it was a heated match. Well, the two points where I think this you know, most becomes clear with the effect of the crowd, you look at Harrison's second serve win percentage. He's only winning 44% of his second serve it's points. Left. So you imagine in between serves there's some clapping or whatnot that gets in his head. Also on break points, Harrison gets 19 break point opportunities, only wins nine of them. So, yeah. you know, not the best. And 
Again, this match in terms of tennis wasn't even that good. Neither of these guys really worked any weapons. It was more of a mental battle. Yeah, and you definitely, you got to say, Harrison might get fined even for this. At the end of the match, he did say something along the lines of, you know, go yourself. Go, oh, yeah, sorry, we can fans. Yeah, we can quack F, it out. So yeah. you can read the quote. I'm pretty sure it was go f- yourself. Yeah, it was yeah. F- those guys get. Or, uh, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't remember exactly, yeah. but it was bad. No, for sure. And so, again, congrats to Ryan Harrison, though, for grinding out a win. Another American we have to mention. Mackie McDonald defeats, you know, another next-gen player, Elias Yimmer of Sweden, 6-4-6-3-4-6-6-1. Mackie's a former NCAA champion and a UCLA tennis grad. Or maybe he left. No, he played all four years, right? Pretty sure. Yeah, I think he stayed his fourth year and won that title, so congratulations to him. Also, shout-out to Kevin King for qualifying for this event. Kevin King's a Georgia Tech product. Unfortunately, he lost to Joe Wilfred Songa, the 15th seed, 6-4-6-4-6-1. American men, 2-3 on the day overall, but congrats to Mackey. Way to go, Kevin King, on qualifying. Those are obviously big things for their careers and nice steps, and we look forward to their performance. All right. We're, you know, we're going a little long on time, but some of these first-round matches were truly incredible, so I do want to talk about them. Rothman, I told you, I think it was 10 days ago when I saw Kyle Edmund play that Brisbane match. Watch out for Kyle Edmund. He is a force to be reckoned with, and I know he's a little bit too old to be considered a next-gen guy, but for someone who turned 23 this January, his 6-7-6-3-3-6-6-3-6-4 win over Kevin Anderson in the first round, hell of a performance. I mean, I agree. Hell of a performance on his part. I honestly didn't expect him to come back after that third set. Anderson looked strong, but you know what? He pulled it out. He played to his strengths. He played just a better version of Anderson's game, in my opinion. Well, I think what really... Okay, sorry, you flabbergasted me. You beat me to my... That's perfect. I was <laughs> looking through some stats at the same time, and then I kind of synthesized what you said. Yeah. No, you're you're right. Both of these guys don't move great but move well move well enough to get to some balls and if you leave it short they're going to do damage and Mm -hmm. I think you're right Edmund just did that much better of a job dictating from the baseline kind of moving Anderson side to side exposing Anderson for being the tall not as quick player he is another thing I want to point to Anderson in this match 35 aces two double faults versus Edmund's 11 aces and five double faults you know that's 24 more free points right there didn't matter because on first serve percentage, in terms of winning their first serve, Edmund wins 78% of his first serves. Anderson wins 83. So, you know, wow. a little bit better, but that's just as, you know, that's protecting your serve. And when you're playing a tall player like Anderson, you've got to do that. Yeah, I hear you. And I think he pretty much. <laughs> the Edmund forehand is gorgeous. The way he gets his mo- – no, no, no. Aesthetically, you're right. But the way his turn, just his swing, the way he gets such pure contact and, you know, really extends through the shot, it's gorgeous. Yeah, and what he did well against Anderson was utilizing that forehand. He ran around the backhand a lot. His backhand is eh, – it's so-so. And he did what he had to do and run around it and control the court with his forehand. I really like his ability to take the forehand short angle but with power. And then another thing I have to mention, his inside-in forehand. Yeah. Just gorgeous. Unreal. He, I mean, he won. He must have won thirty points with that shot. No, he played so well. Sixty-one winners on the day versus <laughs> Anderson seventy. Obviously, Anderson being the taller player, you'd expect that discrepancy to be larger. It did not. You know, it wasn't. And but yeah, Kyle Edmund. You know, after beating the eleven seed Anderson, draw really opens up for him. So he's in that sock draw as well. Doesn't have to play Pui, who's been upset. Obviously, sock is out as well, and so is Cole Schreiber. So there's no seed left for him to play. He really could get to the quarterfinals, and it wouldn't be that shocking to me. 
no, I, I agree. I mean, that whole, like you said, that whole side is just, yeah. it's a crapshoot at this no, point. No, he's in a great position to succeed. Another player things look good for, Andre Rublev. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, but he wouldn't play a seed. You know, he's got Marcos Bagdadis in the next round, and then his third round matchup would be against Dimitrov. In his first round match, Rublev goes ahead and beats David Ferrer, 7-5, 6-7, 6-2, 6 but we should point out he was up 5-2 in the fourth set and had multiple match points mm-hmm. to close the match. Unfortunately, wasn't able to do it. You have not watched much of Rublev, but again, I've been on him a lot over this offseason and over this year, and, you know, quick bonus point, but he has a great offseason video on YouTube that you can go check out if you want to see what he's working on. What do you think of him? Former World Junior number 1. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think since he's kind of made this spree on... The ATP tour, I have been paying attention. I think from the beginning of this tournament, I had a feeling this would be a five set match. Ferrer is one of those guys where if you're not ready to pound the ball, take control of the court, you're going to have a tough time. He's going to put a million balls in the court. Completely agree. I will say, if you have a weapon, though, you can do some damage against Ferrer, and that's what Rublev had. That is what he had, but he didn't use it enough. I think that. The forehand, right? Yes. Uh, right, we're just assuming. Yeah, sorry, sorry, we should make this clear. Yeah, so Rublev has a big forehand, and I think there were times throughout the match where I just didn't see him using it. Well, we should say not just big, elite. One of one of the top, you know, part of the reason people are so hyped about him is because the forehand will take him places. Agreed. And I just think there were times throughout the match where I was questioning why he wasn't moving in, why he wasn't using that forehand to take control of the court, and that's where he was able to lose a couple stats in here. Well, while you look up Rublev's unforced errors, I I just want to point out some of the stats I've looked at. So Rublev, one of the big things, hit 77 winners as opposed to Ferrer's 32. So clearly went after the ball. You know, wins 71% of his first serve points, but only makes 54% of his first serves and wins a very weak 41% of his second serve points. And so you're, you're right. You know, he's a guy who clearly doesn't have that much confidence in the serve yet and you cannot leave you know hanging curveballs to David Ferrer otherwise it's over right and so like you said his winners were 77 but he did have 91 unforced 91. errors <laughs> that is a lot but and, I, and also I think this oh is a testament God. as to why Ferrer lost this match Ferrer had 32 winners to his 61 unforced errors that is a lot for someone like Ferrer. Well, I'd like to see what the statistician counted as an unforced error because Rublev had Ferrer on the move. You're he right. was getting him there side were, to side. That's, yes, that's true. Ferrer likes to go for his lines, but you know some of those stats can be a little inflated. But yeah, that, that's a lot. But 91 unforced errors. Oh, my God. And, and here's one last statistic that I want to throw out from this match. There was a combined 25 double faults between the oh, two of them. How many, we, how many from uh, Rublev? So 15 from Rublev oh, and 10 from Ferrer. Atrocious. I was When I was watching this match, I noticed that the court, and this is the case on a lot of these kind of smaller Australian open courts, the shadow gets really intense throughout the match. You have half the court that's bright and sunny and half the court that's a shadow. I can understand why there's that many double Well, you can see why both players are struggling. If I'm Ferrer, I think that actually plays to my advantage because I'm the more experienced player and I've just seen so many results. Speaking of another inexperienced player, you know, if someone who doesn't... Well, actually, these guys really do have the same credentials as Rublev. Of course, I'm talking about one of our best first-round matches... Tsitsipas for Shapovalov. Both of those guys are next-gen superstars. Tsitsipas from Greece, a former World Junior number one. Uh, a lot of people compare his ground strokes to Federer's because he's got the same beautiful forehand stroke and a nice one-handed backhand. That's a match Shapovalov, though, dusted Tsitsipas. 6-1, 6-3, 7-6. 
Shapoval is your boy, Rothman, so I'll let you praise him, and then I want to make some comments about Pass. Yeah, I I think Shapovalov made a statement in this first round. He looked a great. statement. A statement. All right, we have our hot take of the day. Fligner, cue the sizzle. He looked fantastic. Controlled the court with his forehand. Is ripping his backhand, moving flawlessly around the court. I think he is someone who's going to be a dark horse. I know he's not you know what you would consider a dark horse in in most cases, but with the draw that he has in front of him. I consider him a dark horse. I think he can take out some of these seeds and make it far in this tournament. Well, Shapovalov's next match will be against Songa, right. and that's a guy he beat at the U.S. Open in straight yeah. sets. So, you know, in terms of familiarity, this is a guy Shapovalov has matched up with, and I agree with you. Shapovalov looked outstanding, wins 83% of his first serves, 69% of his second serves, converts five of eight breakpoint opportunities, and limits Tsitsipas to only two breakpoints. Also hits 33 winners compared to Tsitsipas's 11. Don't discount Stefano Tsitsipas quite yet. Yes, he might be a little bit older than Shapovalov, but he's clearly not as athletically developed. In terms of the things Shapovalov does best, I think he just moves like a beast. His ability to find that inside-in lefty forehand. Ugh. And and the thing that he I'm starting... He does. He's not scared to either. That's what I was going to say. That is something that I'm starting to really appreciate about his game. He is smart out there. He sees the court so well. He chooses the high-percentage shots. I think he has the kind of game where he can throw people off because he sees some shots and is tricky in his shot making that not all players have. I think he's going to take Song out in the next round just like he did last year. So that's your big upset prediction. You think Shapovalov... Okay, no, no, because that's an earlier match. Will Dennis Shapovalov be around for our podcast on Sunday? Will he still be in the draw or will he have been eliminated by Dimitrov, right? Um, so he he would have to go through Kyrgios, through Kyrgios. first, and oh, then that be so- and yeah, then would be Dimitrov potentially. So it's one of the matches we previewed, I should have remembered that. That's all right. <laughs> uh, it would be hard. I mean, if that happens, I'm putting money on him to win the whole tournament. You're putting money on Shapovalov. If I don't he, even if see he, odds for him. If, oh no, no. God. If he makes it to the quarterfinals by beating Kyr- Songa, Kyrgios, and Dimitrov, he's winning the tournament. Dennis Shapovalov right now. Oh gosh, two eighty to one are his odds. <laughs> Hold on, you may as well put ten. Hold on, on. If we are coming back to that for our best bets. It's clearly time. I think that's as good of a segue as any. Again, we will. You know, we've talked about so much, and that was only one day of Australian Open tennis. So we are really looking forward to bringing you coverage this week. One last thing we want to do again: present some bets. But before we do that, quick changeover chat. But stick around. And now, a new fake advertisement from our favorite new sponsor, Duty's Mafia. Duty's Mafia. Duty, 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 duty. Duty's Mafia. Sorry, Ryan. Welcome back to. Oi! Great shot. That's Australian. I think so. Mike. <laughs> it was pretty good. Who is better? Me or he him? had a better one. He had a. <laughs> Rough draft was better. All right, let me try this. A little practice. I had a little practice. Foster's Australian for open. Like the beer. (laughs) He gets it. He gets it. (laughs) You go Steve Irwin. Oh, crikey. Well, as the accents are out, you know what time it is. Fliegner, cue the drum roll, please. It's time for this week's changeover chat. 
The changeover chat. I can hear the music in the background. It's so beautiful. So for this week's changeover chat, since this is our Australian Open preview pod, we want to have a little fun. We are going to talk about some of the best bets we can make. And all of these odds we'll be using are found on the website betfair.com. Do we endorse gambling on sports? Absolutely not. Do we endorse having a little fun? Absolutely. So that's what we're going to be doing now. But first, I need to just say something before we start this. We need to talk about the gear that these guys are wearing. Specifically, <laughs> I we were about to make a bet on this. What is Nike doing? Oh my god. It's, the- it's just so terrible. we're talking about the pink and black thing, right? We should make it clear. Can you give a little imagery for our listeners? Yeah. So if you haven't watched at all yet, Nike has the has all of their guys wearing this diagonally cut pink and black top with pink bottoms, pink and black socks, and weird multicolored shoes. And it's first of all, what's the most disturbing part of the art of the entire out? out it, it, there is no. no one I can't even get it out. It's, it's so disgusting. It's, it, <laughs> it's all just bad, and they don't have any of them wearing anything different. It I don't understand. Like you would think that they would have one guy wear one type of short and one guy ha- wearing a different shirt. It, it's everyone a little wearing the a same little thing. diversity in the brand. I mean, first of all, who designs? Like black and pink. Who's like these are my go-to colors? This is what I'm rocking all the time. I, I don't know anyone. Yeah, I, like they always do some weird colors for the Australian Open, but this is just I mean, they, even they got like, it wrong. What superheroes are in black and pink? None. There's the Red Ranger, the Pink Ranger, and the Black Ranger, <laughs> but there's not the Pink and Black Ranger. That's not a Power Ranger. No. Also, you got to think. Part of what they do is they sell this stuff post tournament, and the shorts are hor- like. First of all, how many guys are going to go out there and buy the these worst pink part shorts? is that like the black fade goes from shorts onto the shirt, and right. it's just, like perfectly in line. It's just hideous. It, I I I mean, I'm not going to be going and buying this clothing. What if it's that color, but you get the Nadal sleeveless edition, <sighs> right? First right? of all, I love that he's back on the sleeveless shirts. <laughs> I know, you I know, do. I know. A lot of people don't. They think it's not classy, but. God. He's earned it. He's it, flexing on him in his oh, last year. <laughs> bring him back to his roots. I, I think it's amazing. And anything the next I, thing he's got to do is bring back the Capri. Oh, if he, he does never. that, he's my favorite player. Well, I just on like tour. that. He, <laughs> it exposes that his left arm is significantly larger than his right arm. Which oh, yeah. is one of those weird things about tennis where that's just kind of how we're athletically built. And I mean, there, there are fun, other reasons that. that know, we might can be quack out part of this story. Yeah, an announcer once <laughs> asked him after a match. He goes, "So, Rafa, what else do you do with your left hand?" And Rafa looks and goes, "Uh." <laughs> <laughs> I expected nothing less yeah. from Rafa so that's that really question. Funny. One last thing on that. You're right. Before we get on to the bets, because I forgot about that topic. What are you wearing? The pink and black Nike with the Nike shoes or the red, yellow, and blue, like striped white Adidas shirt with like the, I don't even know how to describe it. It looks like a flag. Boxes. Yeah, that's exactly. So which do you wear? <sighs> Those are the two big names. I'm going birthday suit. <laughs> I don't want to wear any of that. What about you, Michael? I'm taking the Neapolitan ice cream. <laughs> I like the, I like the 90s. I can settle with the 90s, like old Navy collection look. Well, it just and screams like European it's just bar Union. Colors, really simple. <laughs> At least, I don't know. It's a tough one, but versus the pink coordination. If you wore the pink outfit, this is to either of you. Would you wear the shoes as well? You almost you have, have to. to. You have <laughs> yeah. to go all in with it. If you have black shoes, it just looks like you're like dipping your foot into the water to test it out. Oh, you're like, like uh, this isn't a jacuzzi. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta get all the way in. Cool it's like, yeah, uh, what's the thing? The strawberries, the fondue. You're dipping the <laughs> you strawberry do. fondue into you the chocolate outline. Yeah, that's funny. But okay. Um, 
Yeah, not a fan of Nike. I'd probably wear the Adidas shirt just because. I mean, yes. no, I'd wear Nike because of the shoes. But fun fact, actually, random last thing about the clothing. Ty Kwiatkowski goes to Virginia, right? They're a Nike school. Wore Adidas shoes his entire four years because he just grew up in them. He's like, I can't run in anything else. Huh. So kind of cool fun fact. But I'm Team Nike always. F it. What do you think? Uh, I guess I'm going Nike. Yeah, I like Nike shoes a lot right. better. So. Well, you know how you can afford a pair of nice Nike shoes? With some of these bets, I see you smiling. Okay, so again, back on Betfair. And again, Betfair gives odds for these players. You can make bets in terms of players winning. You can bet on the field over the players. That's something called a lay in tennis terms where you're laying against the player and for the field. So I have some really interesting bets for you. And, you know, if you want to read these bets in depth, go check out the changeover chat from last week on CrackedRackets.com. It's bullet point number 12. The odds are a little bit adjusted since then. But here's my main bet. So, Max, there are a couple obvious bets I think you should make. First of all, the odds on Federer winning are 3-1. to one. To parlay any bet you do, might as well make that bet. Might as well say, F- it. I'm putting $100 on Fed. I get $300 back if he wins. He's probably, you know, we mentioned his draw earlier. Safe bet, good way to keep your money. Same thing, Nadal, 7-1 to one odds. Why wouldn't you do it on Nadal? I mean, if if you're assuming, you know, again, $100 that you'll make back if it's Federer. If it's, you know, $100 on Nadal, you'd get 700 back. These are the two guys who won the two slams last year, have been the most dominant players of the 21st century. Not bad bets. You with me so far? Yep. Now let's start to get interesting. Let's say you wanted to bet against Federer. Let's say you are saying, I think anyone in the field but Federer can win. You know, those odds are slightly slimmer because they're giving you a lot more players. But if you bet $100, you pretty much get it uh, $150 back. Not bad. Same thing, Nadal, you bet 100 you get about 116 back, a little less. So, let's be interesting. Let's make these odds a little more extreme. My first best bet of the day, place a $1,000 bet that anyone but Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic will win the tournament. That means of the 128 players in the field, you are thinking it'll be any of the 128 besides Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic. A $1,000 bet on that earns you $4,000. That's a 4 to 1 odd. Tell me why I shouldn't take that bet. Because that's too much money on one bet. Okay, not $1,000. $100 and I get 400 back. Tell me why I shouldn't take that bet. Uh, How old is Federer? He's 36 years old. We haven't seen him. Okay, that's a lie. We saw him win Australian Open last year. Yes, he looks fresh. But he's 36 years old. How much longer is he going to stay up in these heat? We think after a year of him winning two slams. We say that all the time. We don't think Kyrgios and Dimitrov are ready? No, I don't. Gofen beat him at the World Tour Finals. I I just think, uh, first of all, we said this earlier, Fed and Nadal both have easy draws going into the quarters slash semifinals. I think Djokovic also has a pretty solid draw, and I think either of those three guys Better just has will an easy breeze r- to the quarterfinal. You're right, but yeah. So then after that, he has to play likely Delpo or Gofen, then likely Zverev or Team, then whoever comes out of that cluster of a top half of a draw. So you know, three tough matches isn't too much of an ask for him. But he's 36 years old. Like, why is a younger, you know, finely fit Delpo who beat him at the U.S. Open or a Gofen who beat him again at these World Tour Finals in November, why aren't they ready to take that next step? I I think it's just a— He's old! 
Like, he can't keep winning. Sorry, I, he I, can. I'm trying to talk. He's to done you. it. Okay, that's fair. He's you, done it. And I, don't bet against him till you know. Until he shows you that he's going to lose in a second round of a Grand Slam, I'm never going to bet against him. He wears the Nike black and pink. You change your mind? It, it That'd makes, be his it makes first me question. fashion like, faux pas of the you decade. You think that Federer would, would talk to the top uh-huh. guys at Nike and be like, what, you, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> well, bigger fashion faux pas. The black and uh, pink Nike or the ponytail for Fed? Oh, God. The ponytail I got the ponytail. That's, <laughs> that's it was why, not a That's great why they look. don't let him complain. Yep. Uh, okay. So that's part one of the bet. Again, four to one odds against Federer, Dimitri, or against Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. We agree. Djokovic probably safe to bet against at this point. So you're making that bet. You're making that assumption. And again, we parlay all of these bets with a win on Fed to make our money back. But then you throw another $100 on one of Dimitrov, Kyrgios, or Alex Zverev, probably the next three front runners winning. So again, to recap, we have $100 on one of Fed Nadal, or sorry, on all of Fed Nadal and Djokovic losing, and $100 on Zverev, Dimitrov, or Kyrgios winning. winning. Then your odds become 10 to 1. I think that, that $100 is, gives you a $1,000 That is bet. the easiest bet you could make. You take it, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, first, like we said, all these guys are playing well. They don't have the easiest draws, but if they can make it there and, and they take out one of these top guys, they've they've got an, an easy shot at winning. Ten to one odds on that bet. That's ten to one. That's such good odds. How do yeah. you not take, and okay, so it comes down to this fundamental fact: Nadal loses to Gasquet in an exhibition match. I didn't make this point clear, but he looked pretty good yesterday. He looked fine. He's sleeveless. Whatever. I don't think he's going to win in Australia. I just don't think he's as good of a hardcore player as he used to be. I think this past U.S. Open title was a fluke, and his draw was very easy, and thus he was able to cruise through the tournament. We agree Djokovic injured. It comes down to, are you willing to make a bet against Federer? I am not. At some point, even Rome fell. At some point, the great ones fall. But I think... No one defeats Mother Nature. No one. Yeah, but you also... When you see the defeat starting to he happen, looks so good at Hopman Cup. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's been no sign. Like, you you can't just tell me that all of a sudden he's about to lose in the second or third. The round. problem is you need him for odds. So if you take him out of the equation, the odds become so much worse because right. he's the prohibitive favorite. So when you're betting against someone, you got to bet against the favorite to make any money. Right. Uh, so he's really the kicker, and I only make the Dimitrov Zverev Kyrgios bet if I am a hundred percent sure. That Fed will not be winning, and that's where you. Can, that's why I haven't placed a bet yet. But again, if anyone listens to this and wants to go halves, you can talk me into this. Like I'm very much in, and we can parlay with a Federer title but, win. But we don't too. condone sports. No, betting. no, no. I meant in Monopoly money, <laughs> and so we can just give it a go. Why am I like? You don't seem to have any reason to why. Who wins it if not one? Of, if it's not one of those big three, no, no. Who, if who it's can not, win it? no, you're right. If it's not one of those big three, I think you have to take. And the odds are so good. Dimitrov. Ten to what odds? Dimitrov's your ever curious. Yeah, and even I, you're and you're betting even if it's not, you know, even if you're so confident it's gonna be Dimitrov and not Kyrgios or Zverev, you throw them in the bet just to make sure that you have all of your bases covered. You know, it's funny. It's gonna be one of those three. They don't even have Warinka in that group. Well so let me look up the odds real quick for Warinka. Warinka's odds I'm just cur- saying as part of that trio. They're they're not even considering him as one of the front runners. Sixty to one. Wow. That's nice odds. I told you this earlier. I was willing to bet $100 on Jack Sock, given his form in Paris and Hopman Cup. I thought he was going to ride that momentum because he was 70 to 1 odds. So $100 back to $1,000. I mean, 
Thank you for not letting me make that bet, by the way. But <laughs> you're it, it welcome. Would, one last dark horse bet I have to throw in because you know, unless you're gambling, the section means nothing to you. Juan Martin Del Potro, twenty-three to one odds. I'm I'm putting te- putting ten dollars ASAP. So if you're putting ten dollars on anything, what are you doing? Ten on Federer to win, or maybe a little more. Yeah, I guess ten on Federer to win. You got you got to put ten on the the Kyrgios Zverev Dimitrov parlay. parlay. I like it. Do you like that and, one better than the betting against? Would you rather yeah. do just the bet for? Because I'm pretty sure they're both. Like I think Dimitrov on its own is five to one. The Fed bet when you're betting against them is four to one. Which one would you take if only one of them? I guess the Fed. Bet. I know because I'm more confident that Fed is not going to win than then I am in anyone one, winning. Than one of those three winning. Yeah, exactly. yeah I agree because I could easily see Djokovic taking him out. I could easily see Nadal taking him out. I mean that is well. If Nadal takes out Fed, it means Nadal won. And my bet. Well, that. yes, yes. Oh, that's why we don't gamble. I if know. it was easy, we'd do it for sure. 100%. We could be gambling some first round, man. We'll talk about that off camera. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's no, funny. I mean, some of these odds are interesting. One other dark horse bet, we mentioned this earlier. Shapovalov, 140 to 1. <laughs> Just put $10. <laughs> See, this is the problem. You, you think, oh, like, it could happen. Just All right, go. one other really fun one. Or two, sorry, because I'm just looking at these now. <laughs> Kyle Edmund, 100 oh, to 1. Wait, was that a... Kyle Edmund, 100 to 1 now. And what was the Shapovalov? Shapovalov is 150 to 1. They have him at worse odds than Edmund Kyle Edmund? Anderson. And and Shapovalov still has to play Sanga next. Well... That's the bet you're making. And then he's got to play Dimitrov. And then he's, I mean, Edmund's quarter is clear now. Yeah, I was going to say, Shapovalov's draw is tough. Ooh, one other... Uh, would you take Medvedev 600 to 1? Never. Ah, he won a title last week. He's another care. one of those next gen guys. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> Ryan Harrison a thousand to one. Oh my god! I'll put a dollar on that. Sure. <laughs> oh my god! Steve Johnson a thousand to one. It's a lost dollar. Yeah. No, thank you. Um. Okay. Last one, and these are the highest odds. I mean, they're all. <laughs> How a much thousand. higher can you get? No, you know what's what, really what sad is they have Monfils at a hundred to one. They have Monfils, and that's way too high. Way too high. I would bet anything against that. Dude, what if we did that? We just bet against everyone we know. Well, the problem is if you're wrong, you get screwed on the money. Like, you have to pay them odds back. Right, no, I know. The theme is, this is the type of tournament you bet against players. Don't bet for anyone to win because it's very unpredictable. Do individual matches and bet, you know, in terms of the macro sense, who you think is not going to win the tournament. That's all the gambling advice I have. Do we have anything else we want to preview? Anything we think is going to go down? Just start watching this tournament. Immediately. It, it is crazy. I'm loving it. Um, you know, if you guys have some bets that you think should be made, if you have any hot takes on where you think this tournament is going, throw it in our cracked chats. We want to hear what you guys are thinking. Let's rate plug. Let's there. argue. Absolutely. No, seriously, <laughs> if again, if we can do a midweek meal meal bag a midweek mailbag where you guys are sending us questions about matches you want us to talk about any of those things you know just tweet at us say hey could you mention this we would love to do that you know we'd obviously love to have any guests anyone interested in coming on please just let us know but yeah i mean really fun tournament really great way to start the year i'm excited tennis is freaking back Maxie, I know you'll be following this tournament along. Expect to see a lot of my texts. Obviously, I cannot wait to get back. Yeah, you know, I cannot wait to get back in the booth midweek and talk about these fourth round results. 
But until that time, for Max Rothman, for our super producer, Max Fligner, who, as always, you has beast. a hell of a job to do, for special producer, Daniel Westoff, who will be helping us out while Fligner's in season, we say to you... Oh, wait, wait, sorry. And for Michael Azaparty, senior advisor and commentator in the background, we say to you... Aye. Great shot. And we'll see you in midweek. Thanks, everyone.